I promised uh, in a previous podcast that I would talk about rigs for the Nomad and thinking about rigs. And it's always a fun thing to talk about. It's one of the things that we all talk about around the campfire, rig choosing. And, and, and I have a very complex, I've got a really cockamamie <laughs> way of considering all this. And I'm going to talk about, there's a lot of components here, just so you know. So I'm going to review oil prices a little bit, and I'm going to inter- review uh, the psychology of buying a rig and what nomads need in a rig, because it's different from the RV enthusiast. So I just want to point that out. We're going to talk about all of that in Nomad Dreams, Plans for Rigs, Podcast 1096, the Bob Davis Podcasts. Hearing a lot about the real estate market these days, commercial and residential. And if you're selling a home, you want to make sure it looks as good as it can possibly look. And that includes commercial real estate as well. So it needs to be staged. Now, when I think of staging real estate, I'm thinking about furniture in the house and paint and things of that nature that people do to make the place look better. But it's also how it looks outside and curb appeal, especially for residential uh, real estate is really, really important. And that's where we get into landscaping and we get into gardens. So if you are thinking about selling a house, you want to make it look great from the outside, think about GardenGurusMN.com. They are doing real estate staging. They're doing basically getting the gardens and everything ready. They can also help you with your garden if you're inclined. The sun's coming out and the snow is almost fully melted. (laughs) You would think it would be melted by now in Wisconsin and Minnesota at this point in the year, but we're we're struggling to get there. And we're getting we're getting above 45 degrees and the sun is coming out and that has melted most of it, but we're getting there. So think about gardengurusmn.com this spring and early summer if you're thinking about gardening or staging real estate check them out online at garden gurus mn i made a uh, uh, a comment in a previous podcast where i said i was going to talk about rigs and i said you know we're going to leave that alone and i'll come back to that and i'll actually do a whole podcast about how you figure out what kind of a rig you're going to drive if you're uh, or run if you're a nomad let me define some terms. Um, you know, I, I, I don't know that it, this requires too much definition, but, you know, we nomads refer to our vehicles as rigs. We live in them, and we live in them full-time most of the time. We travel in them. We try to go wherever we go all over the country uh, and do all the things. This is what the nomads do. You make a decision that you're going to, get rid of your surroundings your house your apartment whatever and you're going to move into your truck you're going to move into your rig and you're going to travel the country and it's a as we i have often uh, outlined in many many podcasts it's a oddly meditative and peaceful experience and it's great if if you have the inclination to do it if you don't have the inclination to do it you're probably going to have a very difficult time so I'm going to talk about a couple of different things here. Uh, I, I'm going to define a little bit about rigs and who and what uses what kind of rig. And I also want to talk a little bit about the uh, the economy 
as it pertains to the price of fuel, which is the most significant uh, price or cost for all the nomads because high fuel prices mean you're not going to be doing much nomading. And I'll talk about that too in this podcast. And of course, if you've been nomading for a while, then, you know, if you've been a nomad for a while, then most of this you've probably already been through and most of these conversations you've, you've already had, but we, we never get enough of these conversations. Uh, we sit around the campfire an awful lot talking about uh, various rigs and who has them and what they're doing with them and what the problem with them is and why I wouldn't have that and why I wouldn't have this and maybe I'd get that and maybe I'd get this. And then there are some terms. So class A refers to the kind of um, camper where you're driving and the camper is right behind you. And that's, so your camper is, is right, at, right past the front two seats and they're all kinds of different sizes, but they're relatively big. They have a bedroom, some of them have two bathrooms, kitchens, the whole nine yards. That is a class A. A class C is based on a Mercedes Sprinter van or a small truck or, or a medium-sized truck and it has the camper behind it, and that is called a Class C. Uh, there are also Super Cs that are based on small uh, semi-tractors. You've got Super Cs, Cs, As, and then a Class B is usually a van that's got an enhanced body. Uh, you can stand up in them, and they have all the comforts of home as well. My experience is, with the exception of the Class B, most of the RVs are for RV enthusiasts. Generally speaking, people who retire and they keep their house in Akron or uh, Fargo or St. Paul, they go from their driveway to Florida or Arizona or South Texas for the winter, and usually they go see their family in California, their sons and daughters in California, Oregon or Washington, and then they go back home and it sits in the driveway during winter and they never use it until it's time to go somewhere else. And usually those RVs are parked in concrete driveways, plugged in, or they are in RV parks. Even in the winter, they're in an RV park in Florida or an RV park in Texas or Arizona. Uh, or California where they're hooked up and they have all the comforts of home and it's a great kind of experience because they can hang out in the sunshine and usually they camp with friends quote-unquote camp with friends in these RV parks so the RV enthusiast uh, that's the big class A or the big uh, bigger super C's people who have campers the class C's usually use them to go fishing or they use them to go to the state parks during the summer, they're not out there continuously plying the roadways. And usually with these larger RVs, the RV enthusiast is taking freeways. So they're gonna take I-10 to I-40 to you know, I-35 or I-20, whatever it is, uh, up to wherever it is that they're going, I-70, uh, back home in the Midwest or the Northeast, uh, where they spend the summer, and then in the winter, they go back down south. And that's about it. 
And they're nice people, and it's a cool thing to do if you have the resources to run that thing and if you have the resources to buy it. And a lot of people will just borrow the money. They'll, they'll borrow the money. They'll pay, you know, $225,000 for one of these things. Well, they'll get a used one for 30 or 40, and they can run them for five or 10 years, and they're great. The Class Bs are a little bit different. I think those people a little bit more adventurous, but they're, they have the comforts of home and they can still go camping. But I still see that as kind of an RV enthusiast kind of uh, rig. Nomads are different. Nomads are, uh, we're out all the time. We are often on back roads. We are often in national and state parks and forest service parks and places like the you know, Bureau of Land Management land that's hard to get to, a lot of stones and ruts and difficult places to access. And if you listen to my podcast, you'll hear me talking about a lot. We're going up to the San Juans or we're going to Wyoming and uh, we're, or we're going to Colorado. A lot of times camps are, you know, at 10,500 feet. A really big rig becomes problematic to get it into some of these places. So, for example, you're limited to 30 feet to get into national parks. They will not let you in with a 35-foot or 45-foot Class A or a big uh, trailer. You know, you have the fifth-wheel trailers which hook up to the backs of pickup trucks or the kind of trailer you pull those kinds of uh, of rigs are very difficult to operate so we end up being rather eccentric in the types of rigs that we want to run so you see a lot of hybrids you see a lot of ambulances you see a lot of um, what are they called the airport buses or or smaller transit buses which are usually based on an e350 ford or or a 3500 chevy van that have you know 15 or 16 seats and they take the seats out and they have big windows and people turn those into campers and so on so the nice thing about the built for purpose rvs is they have showers they have bathrooms they have you know gray and black water tanks you can take a shower they have bedrooms they have lighting all of that stuff but they work best when they're hooked up to electricity and they're hooked up to some kind of a septic tank like you see at an RV park. So you can run your vehicle, you can run it on, so you're running it on, you know, a house or quote unquote shore power, and you've got plenty of, of power. Some of them now are starting to come with more solar and, and so forth, but let me tell you, the Nomad's experience of these um, expensive, RV enthusiast type uh, rigs is they are not built for boondocking. They are actually relatively delicate. Sometimes they just have one AGM battery. Sometimes they have two. Sometimes they have one or two starting batteries. Um, The tanks sometimes rupture. You have to empty the black water tanks. And if you don't, that gets very serious. And even when you do, sometimes they stink. The the systems may or may not work. I I can't tell you the number of times I've run into people that are having problems. And they'll say, hey, I'm having problems with my power. I can't run my heat at night or any of that stuff. So boondocking is when you're not hooked up to anything. And you're just out at a field in a Bureau of Land Management campground or a Forest Service campground where there's no electricity. So they are delicate. And things break. And those systems cannot stand up to the... 
I shouldn't say cannot, but my experience has been those systems do not do well under constant use and pressure. So getting back to the nomad, this is why you see so many nomads who have these uh, uh, hybrid vehicles, box trucks, uh, uh, old ambulances, as I mentioned, or old transit uh, buses. We get them really cheap, and then, and then people start tinkering with them to get the systems to work right. I should mention also that during COVID, a lot of the newer vehicles, a lot of the newer RVs were made. And one of the things that has been brought up many times by my friends is that during that period of time, they just cobbled together these RVs and they really didn't do the right things. They're, they're built with cheap wood. They look good when you buy them, but they don't last. And so that's why we nomads drive around in these weird hybrid vehicles. And you see a lot of it, especially in quartzite, you see some amazing conversions that people have done. And I can't even think of all the different varieties. So when you think about getting a new rig for a nomad, we're going to be on back roads. We're going to be on back roads at altitude. And we're going to be going up and down pretty tight grades. We're going to be in campgrounds which are muddy, campgrounds which are rocky, campgrounds where uh, it's hard to access certain places that you see that you want to be in if you don't have clearance, if you don't have all-terrain tires, if you don't have four-wheel drive, if you don't have dot, 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 fill in the blanks. So we tend to go for vehicles that are more robust because we are going to be in them permanently. But what, what I think is interesting is they don't always have all the comforts of home. And so that is why you will see people who are actually nomads and they have buses and they have, as I said, box trucks and things of that nature. And you, you learn to camp, uh, and I mean, taking long periods of time, you learn, I learned, I'll just speak for myself, and I knew how to do it, but now I, I, you, you learn how to use the Dutch oven. You learn how to cook uh, all of your meals over a fire. You learn uh, that you don't need a bathroom because either you use the vault toilets at the campground or you, you go into town for a shower or you go to a truck stop for a shower and you don't take a shower every day. And you learn to keep yourself clean without taking a shower every day. And to most people who are uh, RV enthusiasts, that's a horrific idea. Most people who live in comfortable homes, that's a horrific idea. So this is the predicate basically for every kind of rig that a, that a nomad would use. And being a nomad, you know, I drive a, a 2000 Ford ambulance. I've talked about it, uh, E450, uh, 7.3 diesel. Uh, it's got 250,000 miles on it or close to it. And uh, it, I have it for a reason because it's a very robust platform. I've talked about it many times. So when I start thinking about a, a new vehicle, then uh, these are some of the considerations that come into mind. Now, I'll, I'll give you some ideas in terms of what I'm thinking about and why, and I could talk about this for hours, but I also want to talk about the current economic conditions as it pertains to the price of fuel, because I think it's really important, as well as the price of uh, RVs or other kinds of, of potential rigs. So we'll talk about that in the second half of this podcast. 
And speaking of fuel, got to mention 36 Lynn, the independently owned and operated refueling station in South Minneapolis, 36 Street South and Lindale Avenue in South Minneapolis. They are the, the guys that can get you the cheaper fuel. Independently owned and operated refueling stations get a better deal on fuel. They can pass it on to customers. And if they can save you a buck or two on fuel, that's a good thing. Even though gas prices in particular have eased a little bit in the last few months, it's still, I'm just going to say it's still relatively elevated. And if you watch people filling their tank at any kind of uh, gas station, you will see the frustration and you'll see the, you know, people chewing their thumb and, and just watching that thing tick over and over and over. So if you can save a couple bucks on fuel, you're going to go for it. But the main thing about 36 Lynn, in addition to that, is they've improved the experience for the community. They've improved the experience for customers in the store because they have so many specialty items, especially food, things of that nature, at 36 Lynn. Check them out online at 36lynn.com. And I've also recommended their Instagram feed for information. And it shows you how they're involved in the community and how they're just really fun. 36 Lynn at uh, Instagram. Check out their feed and check them out online at 36lynn.com or click on their banner at the top of the page at the thebobdavispodcast.com. If you've been listening to these podcasts for any length of time, you know that I have been watching markets from the stock market to the bond market to the commodities markets like a hawk. And I've done several podcasts about them. Our largest cost center as travelers and nomads is fuel. What happened to me was that in the fall of 2022, when inflation started to rear its ugly head and it really it started with fuel i realized probably pretty quickly i remember being uh, at a at a sort of a cluster of truck stops in southeastern arizona in late september i think it was maybe early october of 2022 and seeing the handwriting on the wall that the price of fuel was gonna become a problem and I did a bunch of podcasts about orienting yourself to current conditions rather than pining away for conditions that you uh, would feel were more conducive to what you wanted to do. I don't like to go sit for eight months in the desert or eight months in Wisconsin. I like to, to travel. I like to run. And when I'm not doing that, I'm not happy. I mean, I'm happy. Uh, as I just said in the last podcast, I'm enjoying the rest and refit process. But if I'm not traveling, uh, I feel like I'm missing something. So that is something that has sort of predicated my educating myself about markets and about trading. And as I said, the commodities markets, specifically petroleum. Therefore, all of the predictions about what must come and what might not come. And, and so this is a, a huge component of choosing the next rig. Because if I had my druthers, I would choose a mountain bus. I know where to get one. Mountain buses have, have four-wheel drive. In other words, they have a differential in the front, and they have a differential in the back, and they have a two-speed transmission. They have a highway transmission, you know, speed, and then they have a lower speed for negotiating mountains and hills. 
Plus, they have four-wheel drive. So if you get back on a dirt road and you get ensconced in some mud or snow or something like that, you can fire up the front end and you can go four-wheel drive. So you have four wheels in back and you have two wheels in front that are being driven by the motor. And they're usually somewhere around 27, 28 feet. So they're not as big as the big buses, which is good because there's a 30-foot limit on vehicles um, at, at national parks. So if you want to go to the national parks, you can't have one of those 35-foot or 45-foot rigs. So my druthers would be to get a bus, get the big Cummins in the bus with the Allison transmission, get the four-wheel drive bus, get a little bit shorter bus. And where I am right now, uh, here in our shed, which is a family place there's tons of lumber and there's a whole hardware store of stuff and there's people there's i know people in the community that i'm sure i could get to to pay to help me you know put the whole thing together uh and my idea uh, for the bus is very as my friend mike who has a 45 foot bus uh, and i have talked Really, we want mill spec, and he's got crazy ideas for what he considers to be mill spec since he's a veteran. He knows exactly what he means when he says that. What I mean is I don't need a four-burner stove because I'll just use my caterer stove when I'm going to cook inside. I'll have a sink because that's one of the things that's required to actually be licensed as an RV. I will have a bathroom because that's one of the things that's required but i don't know that i'm going to use it and you got to have drop tanks which is the black water uh quote unquote and gray water tanks so i'll have those although they're not going to be real big because one of the things i've learned doing what i do is you don't need all that stuff and uh i would have uh i'd probably have solar although uh, I think I'd probably just use a power station rather than having a bunch of solar on top of the thing because it's expensive to put solar in. And it would be very simple inside. You know, a sitting area, a bedroom, a shower, a counter space for work, and maybe a navigation station of some kind. That's it. The problem with that is you have to assess, okay, if I buy a bus... Uh, Right now, I have a vehicle with 16-inch tires. It's very simple. It's easy to maintain. Even when you have to do something major, it's not that expensive. The most expensive thing that I had to do is put a new transmission in it. Um, the, um, you know, uh, the next most expensive thing I had to do is to put a new sway bar in the back and new shocks in the back, which made a huge difference. And if I want to put all new tires on the thing, it's not even going to cost $1,500. Whereas a tire for a bus, so if you're going to do R22s, a tire for a bus can be up to $2,000, especially if you want higher quality tires. And you do want higher quality tires. If something goes wrong with it and you've got the big uh, Cummins and an Allison transmission, you cannot take that to Joe the mechanic. That has to go to a truck place and they're gonna charge you a lot of money to fix it. Whereas with my vehicle, I can pretty much take it anywhere with the exception of when it's getting aligned, it has to go to a truck alignment center because it's a big, heavy, small truck. 
but I can take it to pretty much any mechanic that can work on a diesel, um, and and it works and, and it's fine. I can take it to the to the guys in Fullerton. I can take it to the guys in uh, Burnsville. I can take it to the guys uh, in New Richmond or wherever I am, and I know I'm going to get relatively decent service. If I get a bus, I'm going to have to do the truck thing, which is fine, but that's going to be more expensive. So running it is expensive. And then we get to this question of fuel prices. And I'm going to try to squeeze this in. And I'm just going to talk about fuel prices a little bit. Because I've been watching uh, oil as a commodity for quite some time. And I, I envision for this podcast a little bit more extensive discussion about this. Because I've been putting a lot of financial information in my head. But we're just going to, we're just going to concentrate on, on the oil issue. You hear a lot of noise out there about recession, no recession, deflation, inflation, um, disinflation. And I'm not going to define those terms. I've defined them way too many times and it takes too much time. I'll put links in the blog. And if you are interested in getting those terms defined, then good. You can look it up yourself because it's, uh, I can't, I'm not going to take the time to explain it. As you know, I have been advocating, (laughs) even though I'm not advocating, I'm just saying I've got my fingers crossed for a deep recession because that means bankruptcies and it means trucks for sale and it means ambulances for sale and it means uh, RVs for sale at cheap prices because people got to let things go and it means unemployment and all the things that are horrible for everyone else, but for nomads, it's a dream. It also means uh, cheaper fuel prices. And you're going to hear a lot of noise with people saying uh, we're going to have inflation and fuel prices and the fuel prices are going to go up. I don't see how you have major demand destruction, which is what we have right now in the world as interest rates keep going up and up and up and companies have to adjust their business models for higher interest rates after being uh, built for 0% interest rates for so long in, in other words, free money. I don't see how with uh, M2, which is the money in the system, contracting at a pretty significant rate, historically, essentially unprecedented, uh, and manufacturing uh, indexes and service indexes and, and all these other indicators indicating a recession, at the same time the Fed, uh, Federal Reserve uh, increasing interest rates, I don't see how you have higher fuel prices. My experience watching uh, petroleum so West Texas Intermediate and Brent crude over the last you know year at least it's gone from $137 a barrel to somewhere around 75 which is a significant decrease that's almost 50% um, and it's struggling to be above 80 now $80 barrel oil translates to about 415 for diesel 396 or so for gas I, don't, I think that's still too expensive, but I can tell you when it was 650 in Arizona, not forget California. I mean, I decided I'm not going to go to California. I'm not going anywhere. In fact, last summer I went to Colorado and Utah, and that was my trip. This summer fuel's a little cheaper, and it's getting cheaper so far, which is great. So $80 a barrel oil is good. What I'm looking for is 60 or even 40. Now, the fuel companies, the, the, the oil companies, claim that their profit margins uh, kick in at about 80, but I think we're headed for a pretty significant recession. 
I could be wrong. These indicators could mean nothing. If you listen to all this noise with everyone talking and talking and talking and making predictions about the future, as I have talked about, then you're just going to end up being even more confused. You kind of got to blot out all of the noise and look at the money supply and ask yourself, what's the demand level and what are inventories for gasoline? I'm sorry, inventories for uh, oil and or inventories for refined products like diesel, jet fuel, and, uh, and gasoline. And sort of make a judgment based on those things. So you'll hear people say that inventories are being depleted rapidly. I don't see how if you have reduced demand, if I don't see how if the Chinese are buying cheap Russian oil under the table, why they're going to pay $80 a barrel for oil from the Saudi Arabians. Uh, and everyone keeps discount. They, they exempt already Russian oil because of the Ukraine thing and the sanctions. So what are the sanctions? Well, there's price caps on Russian oil, which is that you can't sell it for more than $40 a barrel. Well, that's to me, that's meaningless. They're going to sell it to somebody. So the and, and I think a lot of times when people talk about inventories of refined fuels and also raw you know, petroleum, they are discounting uh, 8% because of the, uh, in other words, they're, they're, they're discounting or underestimating the idea that Russian oil is, is, is uh, they think Russian oil is somehow, ex- because we passed a law or we said uh, we're going to put sanctions on them, that suddenly that took their oil off the table. So if Russia accounts for about 8% of the world's oil production, they're still selling their oil to someone, and they're selling their oil to someone at some price. And I don't care what the other implications are. It doesn't matter how you feel about the Ukraine uh, war or Russia's involvement or whether we should have sanctions or not. It is what it is. They're, they're saying uh, they're underestimating the value of that 8% uh, oil still being on the market somewhere. So I'm not sure that inventories are as, uh, as being depleted as quickly as they think. And if everyone's economy is slowing down and demand is slowing down, I don't see how you have oil inflation. So how long then are prices going to be low? That's where you, you end up asking the question, well, okay, so yeah, it'd be great if we had you know, $75 barrel oil or $60 barrel oil. That would be great because that would help prices for fuel go down. How long is that going to last? And if I got a bus do I have the resources to run that thing? And if I put new tires, let's suppose I spent, you know, $6,000 and put new tires on it when I built it and got all the stuff done uh, mechanically that needs to get done. And there's always something that you forget or that you don't want to pay for. Is that going to come back to bite me in the ass later? So for the foreseeable future, I will be running with what I have. But when I think about the future and I think about, well, where's all going to be when the economy starts to grow again? Is that going to go right back up or, you know, what's going to happen with that? What would I get if I, if I, if I want to be oil conscious? So I've been driving a vehicle that gets 19 miles to the gallon. And it sure is nice not to have to fill it up all the time. Do I get a transit van, let's say? Or do I get uh, some kind of sprinter? Do I get something that has better fuel economy, as in either uh, a small diesel or a small, you know, gasoline engine. Do I, what kind of a vehicle do I switch to? Do I try to find um, one of these 
uh, Nissan pickup-based Class C somewhere. You know, and what's the fuel with that? Because fuel is the biggest consideration when I start thinking about what I want to get. I like the ambulance because I have never, I've, it's not a camper. It, it could literally be cleaned up, put back into service. But it's, I've learned you don't need that stuff. What you buy is you buy a thing you put over the fire to put your pots and pans on. Uh, you learn to cook everything over the fire. You learn to clean yourself up. You learn about the showers that you hang on a tree. You learn to just pour water over yourself. I mean, some of the best showers I've had in the desert are when it's 100 degrees and you pour water and you just pour water on yourself. You know, it doesn't even have to be uh, warm. <laughs> Because if it sits in the sun, I've had showers with just using the water can and just pouring it over my head when the water is literally steaming from sitting in the sun all day down there. So you you don't need all the things that you think you need when you go out. Yeah, if you're, an, if you're the kind of person that wants to spend $250,000 on an RV and you want to go from, like I said, Akron, Ohio or St. Paul or Duluth, to Corpus Christi or someplace like that and you want to go into an RV park and pay $300 a month all winter, good for you. But if you want to, if you want to be out as a nomad on BLM land and sit in front of the campfire and meet crazy people and do what we do, that's just not going to work for very long. You're going to start to notice that your systems will start to break down. And if you can't fix them yourself, guess what? You got to call somebody and usually they have to come out and that is a challenge. Also, there's clearance issues. The cool thing about the mountain bus, for example, is that there's tons of clearance. The, the, you know, the, the uh, mobile podcast command has tons of clearance underneath it. Certain kinds of vehicles have a lot of clearance, but certain kinds of RVs have almost no clearance. So you think about, let's say you're going to go to Dash, uh, Dinosaur National uh, Monument and you want to go down to Echo Park, which is down a 10 or 12% grade on a dirt road eight miles back in the uh, rocks, you're not going to get that thing down there. And if you do get it down there after ripping the bottom out, uh, you'll never get it out because you can't go out the back way either because there's a there's a hill with rocks about seven miles out you know there's a whole bunch of different i mean i've talked about them in my podcasts also you get something like that on a beach and it sinks down into the sand i talked to a guy at uh, matagorda who he just drove around pulling people out of the sand and i said uh, what are some examples of what you've dealt with and he goes we had to pull a 30-foot rv brand new out of the sand because the guy pulled up to the um, you know the surf and of course the 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 wind came up and the shoreline started to get more active and the thing started sinking down in the in the sand or my friend who had a class a and got stuck uh, down at Mitri Lake in in uh, mm -hmm. Arizona slash California and uh, we could not get her out for all the tea in China. We ended up having to get the BLM guy to come down and, and build a road to her vehicle and then pull her out with a, with a chain that I had for my friend Steve Steiner to get her out. And that was because it's a, it was a huge Class A. Her water tanks were full. She got turned around. She was pulling her car on a trailer and she backed in there, tried to turn around in the sand and got stuck. And it took three days for us to get her out of there. 
And if she had called a tow truck, they would have had to bring two heavy lift tows. And that would have been, I don't want to think about the cost, at least $1,000 to get her out of there if that had been what we did. Fortunately, she was able to con this guy into getting her out of there. And uh, he did her a solid because she was a veteran too. And it was all good. But again, I looked at that and it was like two things, clearance and weight are so important, both in terms of mileage and in terms of usability. So there's a lot to think about when you think about a rig. And, and most importantly, right now, we need to see where the economic thing kind of resolves. And just to, in closing, I would just say, you know, there's, there's a lot of talk about, there are contrarians that say, because everyone thinks there's going to be a recession, I'm buying stocks because that means the market's going to go up. That's a trading game. That's a trading strategy. It's like playing blackjack, where you hedge your bets until the cards start going in your direction, and then you start, you, in other words, you, you lower your bets, you go conservative until the cards start going in your direction, and then you start betting big, and then you win big. That's a trading strategy. That's not a strategy for saying there's not going to be a recession. That's not a strategy for predicting oil prices from the perspective of the consumer. So you have to take that stuff into consideration in the next four or five years in terms of figuring out what to do. And then one more thing I will say is this. If we do, and I'm, I mean, various people that I talk to, they look at metrics that are really scary. They are significant downward uh, indicators. And they're, they're not a little bit. They're significant. And it isn't just bears saying this. This is hedge fund guys and traders and analysts and everybody looking at these really significant moves downward for housing and for commercial real estate and for banks and all that. If we have a serious recession, as I said, aside from the fact that there's going to be a lot of stuff for sale, there's also going to be a lot of people hitting the road in their cars because they have nowhere else to go. And they're going to be found at the Bureau of Land Management campgrounds, and they're going to be found in the National Forest campgrounds, and they're going to be found at the truck stops. And there's a number, of, I mean, if you go to Utah, where they just let people do that, you're going to see a lot of that already, because the people on the lower end of the economic spectrum are already getting cut loose, and they have hit the road because they can't afford the rent. And the, you know, the, the inflation, the rent inflation, really uh, put people in dire straits. If we have a severe recession, you're going to see people that you would never have expected to be in that position. Now, I don't know if that's going to happen. And I'm praying that doesn't happen because that creates a whole other set of problems for those of us who've been doing this for a while uh, in terms of helping people when we're out there in terms of being on guard for difficulties, in terms of all the kinds of things that happen with people socially when they're having those kinds of problems. But if we have a really severe recession, I can't imagine that we're gonna have inflation and fuel prices. So uh, I'm keeping my fingers crossed for the fuel price reduction. In conclusion, I would just say, what are my goals? I'm thinking as I get a little older, I'm gonna want something that's big enough that I can spread out and easier. So uh, as I look forward to what I'm going to want if I continue this, and I have no reason not to because it's great, I'm going to want something that's got a little bit more space and has a little more, uh, quote unquote, of the creature comforts. I won't say luxury, 
but the creature comforts that make it a, just a little bit more pleasurable. So we'll, we'll talk about that a little bit in future podcasts. Not doing anything right now, but there you go. Normally, I would thank people. I do have a number of people to thank for donations to the Bob Davis Podcast via the donate uh, button at the Bob Davis Podcast. It's right on the right-hand column. There's a picture of Mobile Podcast Command, and then you see this big yellow oval that says donate. It's just PayPal. Sorry for you Venmo people. Uh, But you click on it, and you can donate uh, $5, $10, $20, whatever you want. And $100, $500, $10,000. Or you can set up a monthly thing where you just send me five bucks. And a couple people have done that. I really appreciate it. And I appreciate all the donations. If you really want to help the podcast, subscribe to the Bob Davis Podcast on iTunes. You can also get it at Spotify, Google Podcasts, and other places which you can find at the bottom of the website on your phone or somewhere on the website if you're looking at it on a PC. Plus... I've also fixed the the website has has been considerably pruned and is designed simply to hold the podcast and serve them up faster and it is working so you can use the streaming audio and you can click on a podcast and get it a lot faster whether it's from iTunes or some other source Spotify of course uses its own servers so thanks for listening to the Bob Davis podcast and thanks for subscribing and all the other stuff and uh, good luck buying your rig. Thanks for listening to Nomad Rig Dreams Plans, Bob Davis Podcast 1096. <gasps> Boop. There's nothing you can do, girl. There's nothing you can say. You're talking to the sky, babe. I just got to get away.